The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Thank you, Mike. Uh, it is such a privilege to have all of you with us this evening. We thank you for coming out and enjoying this edition of our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Uh, before we introduce our speaker tonight, I do want to uh, make a couple of introductions and announce a few things that are going on in the school. Um, as always, we begin by thanking Farmers Insurance Group for uh, sponsoring our Dean's Executive Leadership Series, and especially Faye McClure, who I will introduce a bit later on, who's going to actually do the introduction of our speaker. But uh, Faye's a dear friend of the school and the university, and we so appreciate your sponsorship and your support uh, over the past few years. So thank you very much, Faye. I also want to introduce, uh, Pepperdine just made a transition in their leadership of their basketball program. So we have Marty Wilson with us, who is the new head coach of the Pepperdine Waves. So. He played here on, I think, three teams that went to the NCAA tournament, one that went to the NIT. He's been an assistant coach at two different stints for about nine years total. And so you need to go out and watch his teams play next year and enjoy that and cheer for them. Uh, some things going on in the school that you should know about. Uh, uh, we've mentioned before our private capital markets project. This is really our, a nationally recognized project that helps us understand the true cost of capital for privately held companies. It's the only survey like this in the entire country. It's gotten national recognition from uh, the Wall Street Journal three times in one week, as a matter of fact, uh, in our, in some, because of some recent news that came out of that study. Uh, New York Times, LA Times, USA Today, it's a wonderful program. If that's an area where you have interest in terms of financing or have a small business, we encourage you to go to our website and participate in that survey and to look at the results of past surveys uh, that we have completed. It's a, a wonderful program. Uh, we are also offering a certificate in private capital markets early in June this year. So if that's an interest of yours as well, again, look on the website and you will have more informa information about that. Uh, we have put a lot of energy into our entrepreneurship program over the last few years in developing that. And just this last week, uh, a lot of that has come to a culmination for this particular school year. We had our annual business plan competition on Saturday, had four amazing finalists in that. It was probably one of the tightest competitions that we've had. Our winner was Gina Warren, who is a, a student in our full-time MBA program. Her business plan is called Memoir Studios, and it's a, a plan to capture the memories of uh, the elders in your life that you want to remember in a very easy way to do. It's a fabulous business plan. The ju judges loved it, and uh, Gina's an outstanding representative of the university and actually has been chosen to speak on behalf of the students at graduation a week from Saturday. So. We're proud of her in many ways. Uh, the day before that, on April Fool's Day, we uh, brought to conclusion our 15X project, which was a partnership with UC Santa Barbara, uh, where we partnered two of our MBA students with uh, a scientist from UCSB. So we had four teams, and the scientists have developed these really amazing technologies uh, that they need to figure out what to do with. And so our students looked for business opportunities for their technologies. And we had squid beaks that we had to figure out what to do with. And we had a technology that helps uh, with macular degeneration. There were just some amazing opportunities. It was a, a fabulous day on Friday. Lots of great business opportunities and a really wonderful uh, public-private partnership between us and UC Santa Barbara. So we look forward to doing that again in the future. 
And then we also are rolling out our Master of Science in Entrepreneurship at our West LA campus this summer. So that's a wonderful opportunity for us as we really seek to promote entrepreneurship in the, this region and to build new businesses that will build value for this community and create jobs and, and all the good things that entrepreneurs do. Um, so we're excited about that program and all that it can do. We also are in the final stages of developing our first wave accelerator, which is an early stage venture fund that we're really excited about that we're partnering with our law school on. Uh, so we'll be sharing more about that as the final details of that are wrapped up in the next few weeks. Um, we had some great news about rankings that some of you may have heard about with the U.S. News Rankings. Our full-time program uh, rose to, or I guess dropped to 75th from being in the mid-80s. It was great news for that program. Our fully employed program uh, is now 36th in the country, which is fabulous. We were in the 50s before that. So it puts us in about the top 10 to 15 percent of MBA programs around the world. So we're just really pleased with that and think that is uh, a, a representation of the quality of the experience that our students are having. Um, I do also want to thank the associates who are in the audience. Those are folks that financially support the school and allow us to do all the things that we do. So we appreciate you being here uh, and thank you for the contributions that you make to the school. A couple of upcoming events I want you to know about. On April 16th, we host graduation, which is always a celebration. Do we have anybody that's graduating? There are, oh, we do, a few. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> They're thinking I should be studying for finals right now, but, uh, uh, but we're hosting Dan Cathy, who's the President and Chief Operating Officer of Chick-fil-A. He'll receive an honorary doctorate and will be honoring one of our own alums, Robin Washington, who is the CFO of Gilead Sciences. And then we host an entertainment forum on um, April 20th uh, in Los Angeles. Our final Deans of Executive Leadership Series is on May 5th uh, at Sony Pictures Entertainment. Dave Hindler, who is the Senior Vice President and CFO and alum, is going to close us out at Sony Pictures. And I hear we might get to see a preview of something they've got coming out this summer, so that should be a lot of fun. So lots of great activities and uh, plenty of opportunities uh, to uh, get involved in the months and, and weeks ahead. So. Uh, but what we're here for tonight is to hear our speaker and to learn more about what's going on at Farmers in Zurich. Uh, but I do want to say that Pepperdine and Farmers Insurance have a really long history together. We certainly have enjoyed their sponsorship of the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. But John C. Tyler, the founder of Farmers, had a long uh, and wonderful relationship with George Pepperdine, the founder of Pepperdine University. And if you drove up to campus on one side, you actually drove up John Tyler Drive. Uh, so we're very proud of that and that longstanding relationship. And we have a short video that we're going to share with you before we bring up our speaker uh, that talks about that partnership and the values that the two organizations share. And uh, to lead into that video, I'll just share a quote from John Tyler. He said, the measure of our worth is not what we have done for ourselves, but what we have done for others. And if you see the Pepperdine seal, it talks about freely you receive, freely give. So I think it really shows the resonance of the values between the two organizations. So I hope you enjoy this video, and then we'll move on with our speaker. At Farmers Insurance, we have a long-standing commitment to support higher education and our local communities. Our co-founder, John C. Tyler, once said, the measure of our worth is not what we have done for ourselves, but what we have done for others. Today, we are proud to partner with Pepperdine University to support the Dean's Executive Leadership Series at the Grazadio School of Business and Management. 
For over 70 years, Pepperdine University and Farmers Insurance Group have shared a legacy of commitment to education and service in Los Angeles and across America. In 1928, Farmers co-founder John Tyler helped launch an insurance company rooted with loyalty to hard-working customers. He became attracted to Pepperdine's strong commitment to academic excellence and Christian values, supporting the university's historic transition from the downtown Los Angeles campus to its home in Malibu in the early 1970s. Decades later, Pepperdine and Farmers Insurance continue to strengthen their shared values through the Dean's Executive Leadership Series, bringing the most influential and inspiring business practitioners and thought leaders in America to the Grazie Dio School of Business and Management. Founded in 2004 through this exclusive partnership with Farmers, the lecture series places the Grazia Dio School at the cutting edge of business and servant leadership education. Today, the Dean's Executive Leadership Series continues the educational legacy between the two institutions and unites Pepperdine and Farmers with one common goal, to prepare future leaders and visionaries with the very best education possible. So Faye McClure, if you would come forward, Faye is a member of our Board of Visitors and alumni of Seaver College and just a dear friend. Uh, we've known each other for about seven or eight years now and I can't say enough about what an outstanding representative of Pepperdine she is and I know uh, farmers in Zurich are very proud of her as well. So Faye, if you'll come forward and introduce our speaker. Well, good evening and thank you Dean Livingstone for those very kind words. It is indeed an honor to be here this evening, serving in two capacities. First, as an alum of Pepperdine University, where I attended, let's just say not very long ago, <laughs> and sponsor of the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. And second, as the proud member of what is affectionately known as the Farmer's Family for more than 17 years. Every once in a while, you meet an individual who truly defines the word leader. Every once in a while, you meet an individual who leads by his words, deeds, actions, and sense of fairness. Every once in a while, you meet an individual who is dynamic, charismatic, inspirational, and genuinely genuinely cares about other people. Every once in a while, you have the good fortune to work for a leader named Paul Hopkins, who embodies all of these characteristics. Despite his youthful appearance, which makes us so compatible, <laughs> Paul has been working in the insurance business for a long time. He actually started his career in 1978 as an insurance agent in his home state of Illinois. Paul later joined the corporate side of farmers and served in many positions of increasing responsibility in the sales and marketing arena. Paul's first executive assignment came in 1992 and it required a move from the Midwest to sunny Southern California, which Paul says is still his toughest assignment to date. He held a series of corporate executive positions which led to his appointment in 2004 as president of Farmers Group Inc. and his appointment in 2005 as chief executive officer of Farmers Group Inc. 
and a member of the prestigious Group Executive Committee for Zurich Financial Services. On January 1st, 2009, Paul was appointed Chairman of the Board of Farmers Group, Inc. and CEO of the Americas, responsible for farmers management services, Latin America, and the Zurich Farmers United States Shared Services Operations. Later in 2009, his duties were expanded to include oversight of the Zurich Group's global growth activities. Paul has served as Chairman of the Americas for Zurich Financial Services since June 2010. Paul earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration at Eastern Illinois University and has completed the Advanced Executive Education Program at the Wharton School of Business in Pennsylvania. Paul and his beautiful wife Kay, are here, who is here tonight, have two children, Mark, who is a freshman attending the University of Missouri, and Madison, a high school senior who's still deciding what college she will attend in the fall. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming our leader, my mentor, and most importantly, my dear friend, Paul Hopkins. Well, thank you, Faye, and what a kind introduction and a touching introduction, and I hope you're not as somewhat disappointed as I am. After those first words, I, I thought for sure it was going to be Jerry West that we were hearing from today, and, and I was kind of looking forward to that myself, so Mr. West, if you'd like to come on up. No, go right ahead. No, Faye, thank you very much for that, for that kind introduction. It does mean a lot for me to be here. And Mr. West, having you here means a lot to me as well. Uh, you've been an idol of mine for many, many years, as I'm sure many of the people in the audience are, not just on the basketball court, but really for your character, because you, my friend, are a leader. And I might be the only person who's ever introduced myself to Jerry West, and I'll test his sense of humor twice now, by saying, you know, in, in real life, you actually look a little shorter. And of course, I was referring to the fact that the only Jerry West I'd ever seen before is his beautiful bronze statue in front of the Staples Center. But uh, I would like to uh, lead a round of applause for Jerry West last being in the audience. And Faye McClure, uh, what do you say about Faye? Well, whatever Faye asked you to say about Faye, that's what you say. I, and Faye might have learned that from me, actually. Just uh, moments before she came up, I said, Faye, are you sure you have enough good things to say about me? If, if not, don't worry. I just happen to have a few extra in my pocket I can share with you, and I'm sure to go over, go over just fine. But, you know, truly, I, I've been blessed to uh, get to know a lot of alumni from Pepperdine that work at Farmers and in other uh, pursuits that I've had in my life. And, and one of the things that I've always valued so much about Pepperdine are the values of Pepperdine. Pepperdine's purpose and mission is not just to put good, bright people into the community, but to put them in the community on a mission to give more than they've received and to truly go out and, and make the world a better world if they can. Now, I have the honor of working with 40,000 professionals at Farmers, 80,000 professionals at Zurich, and I will tell you that no one epitomizes the Pepperdine values better of all those 80,000 people than Faye McClure, and I would like to read, lead a round of applause for her. And I genuinely mean that, and I saw Jerry give her a hug. Uh, if you know her, and you know her deep involvement uh, in, in literally anything that she gets involved in, you know she's, she's quite the winner. And I promise you, you won't know her too long before you know 
She graduated from Pepperdine. Did I mention that? <laughs> okay. I'd like to also thank uh, the faculty and the students of Pepperdine for having me here today. Uh, this, is, uh, this is indeed an honor. Um, John Tyler was mentioned uh, quite a bit uh, in the earlier comments, so I won't dwell on that other than to say uh, I actually, uh, when I first started here, it wasn't 92, it was 1988. Uh, the first time I came to Los Angeles, uh, I had never been to the home office of the building uh, for Farmers Insurance. Uh, I was actually traveling north uh, to Simi Valley uh, from where I was living in Redondo Beach. I came across John C. Tyler Drive. I looked up on the hill. I saw the mansion and I said, this is the home office I'll be working in from now on. <laughs> I was later educated to the real world of insurance people and, and where we really live and operate and it's, and it's uh, unfortunately a little different. The, the other thing I'd like to share with you is um, not just about Pepperdine, but about your, about your former, about your, uh, uh, the person that founded you, your, your founder, George Pepperdine. You know, his career started with the founding of Western Auto. So what might that have to do with, with me being here? Well, it's obviously all about the purple buzz bike, isn't it? It makes no sense to any of you now, does it? All right, good. Well, let's just hope after I explain it, it makes a little more sense. Um, they, there were so many nice things said about me already, I won't dwell on myself, but I will give you a little glimpse into a very young me, maybe what started me in my pursuit of being a student of good leaders and then trying to be a practitioner of good leadership. It really did all start in my little hometown of 2,000 people, Sparta, Illinois, uh, down in between the Mississippi River and the Ohio River, down in an area that most people would like to forget that they came from, but I'm very proud of where I came from and the sense of community that it has, et cetera. In that town, the town center, long before we had Walmarts, and I know in the Grazadillo School we say Kmarts, not Walmarts, okay, I, I got that, I, I, I understand that part. Uh, then before Dollar General stores, even in Sparta, Illinois, was the Western Auto. And sitting in the window of that Western Auto was a purple buzz bike. And when I was 11 years old, all I, knew, all I knew is that I had to have that purple buzz bike. Now, show of hands, how many people even know what a buzz bike is in this audience? Okay, so I have at least four of you just hanging on the edge of your seats right now. Okay, well, buzz bikes were kind of a fad about then. I would uh, tell you when it was, but since Faye and I are close in age, that might give it away. But uh, <laughs> let's just say many, many moons ago, back at that Western Auto, this beautiful purple buzz bike is... You'd have to really kind of understand, it's a shorter profile bike, it had monkey handlebars, it had a banana seat, and most importantly, it had a five-speed shifter right on the column. This was quite the bicycle. I knew that if I could get this bicycle, every girl in school would love me. I would never need a car, nor have to go to college or anything else, because I would always be known as the guy with the coolest bike in Sparta, Illinois. Well, the reality is the fact that I didn't get the bicycle, and here's the reason why. We couldn't afford it. And uh, the reason we couldn't afford it is a bit of a, I guess, a sad story, but not one that I feel any remorse over, actually privilege over. Um, my mother, uh, like so many people uh, of her era, had to drop out of high school during World War II to uh, take care of the family store and to actually work in a coal mine, an underground coal mine, very early in her life. Finally, she, uh, the war ended. She, uh, she got back. Uh, she uh, met, my, met my husband, met my father. <laughs> Met my husband. Boy, now that would have been a headline, wouldn't it? <laughs> you come in here and you try to say the right things and something like that jumps out. Yeah, no, no, that's not it. Met my father. They were, uh, they were married. Uh, they had uh, uh, my older brother. They had my older sister. And then when my father, when my mother was eight months pregnant with me, my father died. So as I grew up, I didn't really know what it was like to have a dad 
so I didn't really miss anything. But later in life, I realized that my mother and the sacrifices she had to make, she literally would have to clean houses for people that 10 years prior to that she was socializing with. She always did it with a great deal of dignity and would never let us feel sorry for ourselves in any way. But as only a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old can say, when I didn't get that bicycle at Christmas that year, and Roger Birchler, you know, one of the affluent ones down the street whose father worked for the railroad, one of those engineer guys, he got the bicycle. So only out of the mouth of children, I said, you're not a good mom. You didn't get me that bicycle. Mm. Well, if I could get those words back in my mouth, I, I certainly would. My mother was so gracious, I didn't have to. <clears throat> she said, it's okay, son. She goes, what we have in our family is much more important. That's love, not money. But here's what you're really learning. Roger Birchler might have got that bicycle. That is his name. I don't think he's ever gone to Pepperdine. But if, if you run into him, try to make the story a little softer, if you would. He, uh, he got that bicycle because it was given to him. But what you're learning is a real lesson in character. And someday, if you're the first member of our family to ever go to college, you're going to learn a lot of important things with three and four syllable words. But what I would want you to always remember are the 10 most important one-syllable words. And never get confused that you have to use long words in order to make an intelligent statement. And those 10 words are, if it is to be, it is up to me. So the very first lesson I ever learned in leadership came from my mother, teaching me that if it were to be, it would be up to me. So I'll dwell on that a little later on as I try to lay in a few of these stories. But so is there a tie for me for Pepperdine? I would say if there was no Western Auto, there'd be no Purple Buzz Bike. If there was no Purple Buzz Bike, I would have never been staring in the window. I would have never insulted my mother, and she would have never graciously reminded me what I needed to do for the rest of my life, which is to take stock of myself and be the best, be the best me I can possibly be. So... I guess our next challenge is today, now that you heard a little bit about me and where I came from, uh, to talk about what I've been asked to speak to you about today, uh, which is, um, you know, I, I know Pepperdine has, has high values and, and I know they're a very aggressive organization, but they've asked me to sum up leadership, the necessary ingredients to success in business and society in 15 minutes, uh, of which we're now down to about 10 minutes. Um, Fortunately, I do have two teenage children. I can talk really, really fast. And I can decipher language coming at me very, very quickly. So I'll, I'll see what I can do. So these are some of the, the points that I, th I guess I wanted to make. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I'd like to talk a little bit about why these points are important. Um, everyone can have definitions of leadership, and, and everyone does. Mine, mine are very, very simplistic, and these are not necessarily about me, but more about the excellent leaders over 33 years that I've been exposed to and have had the opportunity to learn from and, and work with in, in what's been just a, an incredible career to date. First of all, you have to have a passion to improve whatever you focus on. It's more than just a passion to win. You have to be the type of person that no matter what you see, your objective is to make it better. And your lifetime goal has to be, no matter what organization you belong to, your goal is very simple. You're going to leave it better than you found it. That's been the credo at Farmers since the day I started. It's been the credo I live by, try to get my children to live by, and, and hopefully they will. But it, it's very important that if you're not a passionate person, then you're not going to win. And more importantly, people aren't going to follow you. Secondly, IQ, EQ balance. 
There are no shortage of very bright people in this room. There are no shortage of bright people in the world. There are no shortage of bright people in our industry, Art Farmers Insurance. And as I tell some of the brightest when they come in the room, and you can usually see their ego as it comes through the door before they get there. You know who you are. No. Of course, you're not in here. You're here to learn. I tell them I can hire all the smart people I want. But what I need are smart leaders. And in order to be a smart leader, you have to have a blend of IQ and emotional quotient. Uh, emotional quotient, EQ, street smart, savvy, understanding people, gut reactions. You have to have that. And it's not just instinctive. It's learned as long as you go into life to learn and listen every single day that you'll be out there. EQ is so important because it brings this characteristic to any person a strong looking glass self. In other words, you are usually accurate on how other people perceive you. If you wish to be perceived like a jerk, you can probably figure out you are be. If you wish to be perceived as, uh, as uh, someone who's laissez-faire or someone who's autocratic, you probably will be. But it's important to have the IQ-EQ balance to be bright and also to be street smart so that you genuinely know how other people feel you are coming forth in the marketplace. Uh, with your colleagues and in anything that you try to do. The third one is a communication student and practitioner at all levels and for life. Uh, the only cheap advice from the sidelines I'd give to any of you students in the room is uh, if you hadn't taken communication courses, you should have. And uh, as you continue your education, make sure you focus on them. And it doesn't have to be a classroom setting. Communication needs to be at the top of your list regardless of what you do in life. There are many facets of communication, whether we're looking at interpersonal communication skills, whether we're looking at the persuasiveness of small uh, meetings, or whether we're looking at, at platform skills like I'm attempting to do a decent job of right now in front of you, and then most importantly, listening. The communication skills is a lifetime journey. You learn how to do it best yourself, then you learn how to teach and, and, and interact with others. And then finally, if you're as blessed as I've been and you get an opportunity to lead large organizations, you look at the communication dynamic, the grassroots and how things bubble up and how things trickle down and more importantly, how they don't. So you must be a student of communication and you must be a student for life and you must look at communication in all facets of communication. Honesty with lots of compassion. I just don't care for people that are brutal to other people and then lay it out, well, I'm just being honest. No, you're just being a jerk. The, the, the reality is, the reality is we must be honest. We must be forthright. We must be candid with people, but we, should, we must also be compassionate. We must understand the real golden rule. Not, how, not treat people like you'd like to be treated. Treat people better than you would like to be treated. So sometimes we're just a little too hard on ourselves. But, but it's absolutely imperative that honesty, honesty, be a very, very strong part of any leadership style. Finally, team confidence. Um, it's very important as a leader that you have confidence in your team. Now, this is very important for you, especially you students who are still just ready to embark on your careers, because there's two ways to look at this. Number one, you can look at team confidence in terms of a team should be stronger than the individual people, right? I feel a little awkward saying this in, in, in front of Mr. West. He's lived this life. Of course, he understands this. And we've had an opportunity to see him in action at so many levels. But in addition to the team being stronger than the individual people, as a leader, it should also give you more confidence. 
Because many of you might say, well, I'd like to be a leader, but I just don't think I have, I'm that strong in this area or that area. That's why you have a team. That's why you have an accurate looking glass self, which comes from what? The IQ, EQ balance. What I mean by that is, instead of sitting here thinking, I don't have those skills, I can't do the job, recognize that you can. Because if you go into the job and you're honest with yourself, you're gonna say, I'm not credible in this particular part of the business. I'm not a finance person. I can't discuss ROEs or net income attributable to shareholders or business operating profit or, or deviations or multivariate analysis or any of those sexy terms. Those are all I know. I thought I did a pretty good job of rolling those all out though. That's a lot of single syllable words lumped into one there. I want you to know we made big progress in Sparta, Illinois. But beyond, beyond those points, you realize that if I can go in and be the leader, the nucleus that brings the right people into the team, create a collaborative environment where people are, an environment where people can be successful, then I indeed can be the leader uh, that, that I want to be. And then finally, I guess the last question, I, or the last thing I'd say is, how do you know a leader when you see one? There's all these fancy sexy definitions about leaders. Uh, my definition is uh, so simple it hurts. It's simply a leader is one who others follow. Well, that's profound, isn't it? Uh, hmm, well, it's true, but here's what it really means. It means, again, that leaders don't have to be someone that gets up, tries to be humorous and witty in front of the group and leads from the front. The leader can be the quiet, unassuming, very genuine person who is always there when needed. My biggest, so my, I guess the, be the best leader, if you will, that I've ever had exposure to doesn't fit the stereotypical mold at all of what we would consider a Lee Iacocca or someone that leads from the front or a famous politician, et cetera. My favorite leader is a gentleman by the name of Don DeWolf, who most of you don't know, who was a retired executive from Farmers, which is one of the quietest spoken and most intelligent and most caring individuals I've ever known. And I've had an opportunity to know some very dynamic leaders but the message here, again, is a leader is one who others follow. So again, the message to you, especially you students in the room, is don't fall into the trap of thinking they all need to look the same way or act the same way, because they simply don't. So I thought for the, the rest of the time that we have uh, this evening, instead of spending more time on, on those definitions, I thought I would try to lay out for you a, a real-life example of uh, a leadership challenge that I faced, in fact, perhaps the biggest leadership challenge that I faced uh, in, in my career, which was when I took over Farmers about seven years ago. Uh, and I thought if I shared that with you, maybe some of the examples of how leadership worked will, will come out in that conversation. And if not, well, then you probably won't ask me to come back again. But um, <laughs> at least you'll know I gave it a heck of a shot, all right? So let me see if I can lay out the scenario just a little bit. Uh, and before I make any of these comments, it's going to sound like I'm being very critical of the state farmers was in when I took over uh, at, at the helm of farmers. Well, I could say those things, but you need to know I was on the leadership team before, too. So as, uh, as Zig Ziglar says, uh, every time you point a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing right back at you. Well, that would be me. Uh, and I would also tell you that my predecessor and the leadership team that I was on did an excellent job of putting the foundation of farmers back where it needed to be after we had been owned by a tobacco company, uh, British American Tobacco, for about 10 years, and just to be perfectly honest, uh, had stripped out most of the capital and the resources of the company and kind of left us afloat at a time that the rest of the industry, the Geicos, the progressives, et cetera, uh, were attacking us uh, like, like there was nobody's business. So here's kind of the world I stepped into, all right, as I took the helm of the third largest 
personalized insurance company in America. Well, let's start with that for just a second. No one had bothered to tell the board or my boss. Um, if you could just go back, it'd be great. Uh, the, the, uh, hey, it's hard to do this and that too, okay? So we really have to coordinate. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. There's no way in hell I could do that. I know you're right. All right, so I'll just con continue to do my, my piece of the puzzle up here. But the first challenge was third largest uh, personalized insurer. The challenge was on my first day, I knew that we had actually slipped from third to sixth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. With a few adjectives in front of that, who I might add. Um, but unfortunately, my boss, the chairman of uh, Zurich Financial Services, or the board, or the investment community, didn't know that. So let's go back to those communication skills, shall we? <clears throat> right from the get-go, I had a pretty ugly message I had to deliver, which was we weren't the third, we were the sixth. And we had lost market share for 10 consecutive years. We had lost a million customers a year before that. And we had 1,000 agencies net over 10% of our entire field force leave the company that year. So there shouldn't be any doubt about one thing. How the hell did I get the job? <laughs> Nobody else wanted it, right? No. <laughs> In fact, we were dangerously close. Dangerously close. And we're a company that has at least 1,000 acronyms. But we were dangerously close to coming to that acronym that no business person ever wants to be associated with, the dreaded CTD. Show of hands for those of you that know what CTD stands for. Okay, so five of you have heard me before. Okay, that would be, that would be circling toward the drain. That is the last person. Thought they'd get a bigger chocolate. You want to hear that one again? Or, okay, no, okay, sorry. We were really becoming a, dino, a dinosaur in our industry if we hadn't already, to be perfectly honest. And what made things more difficult is I grew up in this company. Everything I own, every memory I have, every lesson I've learned was from people at Farmers Insurance and then ultimately Zurich. So I knew there was no choice. There was no way out. We were going to go into this game, and we were going to win this game. And we were playing to win. We were playing to keep. So my analysis, what, did, what were the first things that we needed to do? First thing we needed to do is this most important part of communication, we needed to listen. And we needed to listen carefully. And we needed to get the right people in the right jobs. The right people with the right IQ, EQ, communication skills, and the desire to collaborate. We did that. I had a pretty strong overhaul of the leadership team. I tried to do it with as much honesty and compassion as I could. Some were painful, some were not. But we created a lot of opportunities for people as well. And then ultimately, we realized that what was really missing in our company was the audio and the video just didn't match anymore. We talked about being the third largest. Of course, we weren't. Uh, we talked about our wonderful history, which was true, but we didn't talk about where we were currently because we were losing a million customers a year and our agents were running out the door. So what I realized was we were in a commoditized marketplace. Um, the only real asset we had was our people, and our people didn't think we were any better than any other company. So one of the first observations that we made was, before we could go out in the public and tell the world who the new farmer's insurance was going to be, we first of all had to make believers of our very own people. And that wasn't an easy process because most of our people never touched a customer. They never settled a claim. They never settled and took a check to a bereaved widow after the their, their loss of their loved one. They never did any of those things. So they really didn't understand what insurance and the mechanism and in society really as a mechanism was in society. 
They either worked in finance or other parts of the business, and they never really had that connection. All they did is they pick up the newspaper where they read that our rates were too high, or we've been fined for this, or the insurance industry did this poorly or this poorly. So you are what you eat. Our own people had lost the ability to believe in our company. So before we could ever go to the airwaves and tell the world how good we were, first thing we had to do is get good. One of the first things we did in the claim service was we put together these huge catastrophe buses. So instead of the consumers and the consumer groups complaining that we don't show up at catastrophes and we hide out, we took pride on being the very first ones in, in the very biggest bus we could find, with farmers plastered all over the side of it, and we fed every person that was there, no matter if you were insured with farmers or State Farm or anyone else. And then we took videos of all that and we put it on all of our internal networks so that all of our employees could get a feel for where farmer, what the real farmers was and where the real farmers was going. So if I could, uh, I've got about a four minute video I'd like to run and I'd ask you to test yourselves on this. If you were one of those employees coming in the door, not knowing anything about the company, how would you feel after you saw this? It might even bring a tear to your eye. I've only seen it a hundred times and it still does mine. Monday the flames came over at the bottom of our driveway and I knew that if that was our only way out, so if we didn't leave at that point, We'd there was no way that I could have bailed out of that place. We didn't even have a voluntary evacuation, it was very quick. Uh, once I found out there was evacuation, there was a truck running by there from the police department yelling we need to get out. The firemen told us that it was blowing 100 miles an hour, it was swirling up here and it was extremely dangerous and the, even the firemen were worried about their lives. We found out the house burned probably about 2.30, and Aaron had marked down at the catastrophe bus by 4.30. He was standing there, and he came into the car. He saw me, and he, he kind of sat down in the car, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he started to cry, and I said, you know, don't worry. I said, you know, Farmers is there for you, and this is going to be the last thing you need to worry about. They kind of took care of our needs before we knew what they were because we didn't know what we'd be needing. I was devastated. I mean, I was in shock. They don't even know what questions to ask. Um, we do, we're insurance agents, we're their agent. We can help them by saying, listen, we're gonna take you down to the claim center, we're gonna get the claim started, and that's gonna be the, the road to recovery. It's the first part in the road to recovery for your client. The mobile command center gives us the ability to uh, bring in the finest technology in the industry so that we can assist people in their greatest time of need. We were the first on scene. We, we came out with breather masks, with food, and we really made a big difference for a lot of people. I think on the outside what you find is reassurance that we're here, but on the inside what you find uh, are what people really need. All the sophisticated uh, satellite-driven internet and telephone workstations that are accessible to our customers, even accessible to our competitors' customers uh, if need be, but certainly to our claims professionals. I think it's an awesome setup. You, you are definitely giving a service to people by having the, the constant big screen TV with the news. People are coming in here, they don't have anything, they haven't eaten in hours or maybe the whole day, and you're here offering 
sustenance to people and just a place to gather. You know, the process with farmers, I'm telling you as a client, it's painless, smooth. It's really like, you know, they guide you through every step. They tell you what you need to do. The adjusters come, they're all really sympathetic and they understand. I try to explain to them that, you know, I'm, I'm here to help and I'm here to make everything as, as okay as I possibly can. I know this block, I, I know all the blocks here, and, and when it's in your own backyard and it affects a close friend, let alone a client, it's just, I, there's no words, other than it's gonna look new again. You know, and I, I know it will. If it wasn't for farmer's insurance, right now we would still be in tears, broken down, sitting on the side of the road in a tent. This is With no, no joke, this is the reality of it. I started to tell him the business income and extra expense coverage, how it worked, how we supported it, how we calculated it, what it would provide. And he, he just started saying, we have that? You're kidding. Bless you, bless you. I had no idea. He was about ready to cry right on the phone, day one. From beginning to end, from the very first phone call we made until the very end has just been kind, has been Unbelievable. given a, a hug and a prayer yeah. and been just comforting. Yeah. You just try to find as much coverage to give them as much money as possible so they can rebuild their lives. Last three, four, five days, just being with so many people from farmers, the support that they have given me. Uh, I know they're going to be there for me in future if I need for auto, if I need for uh, other houses. You know, when someone loses their home, uh, the first thing that they're going to need is they're going to need clothes, shoes, food, shelter. As a farmer's agent, through the process, we're going to be able to help them with additional living expense. We're going to get them an apartment or rent them a home. We're going to get them shoes on their feet. We're going to get food for their children. We're going to help them right away in their time of need. It's fast. I'm telling you, it's light, it, we're moving lightning speed right now. On behalf of farmers, I'd like to present you with a check for the house and an additional supplemental check on the contents. You're always helping someone when you handle a claim, but when you went to a catastrophe, you know darn well they're so grateful to see you. They appreciate you so much. You, you can truly help someone, and it's just a, a great feeling. I knew America was land of opportunity, but what I have realized now, not only is land of opportunity, but it's land of people with heart of gold. All right, honest your hands. How many misty-eyed people do we have in the room? Okay, all right, so. That's good, because I was afraid I'd just been around the insurance business too long, uh, but um, my assistant Vicki, who's in the audience, uh, who's tearing up over in the side, uh, she and I were watching the video for the hundredth time, and we were still tearing up at the end, because when you see people in that condition, and you know that you're their solution, and you can be part of that solution, it's, it's very, very special. So, let me ask you this, do you think we passed the test in terms of advising our employees what we do for a living and how we take care of customers? Well, this is probably one of a hundred different tools like that uh, that we use, but it was so important because this isn't about deciding that you need a research and development department or you need a specialized function for this or that. What you need is everyone in your organization as a leader to believe in it and to believe in it. And you can't advertise that you do this unless your people believe it and are willing to walk that walk and talk that talk every single day. So this was a big step forward in getting the entire farmer's team to believing in themselves again. The second thing we needed to do, and there were many, but the second thing we needed to do is redefine who our markets were. 
Um, we were living here in the biggest multicultural city uh, in the U.S., in Los Angeles, but yet we were not pursuing uh, the Latino or the Asian markets. We were continuing to do business the way we wanted to do business, speaking in the tongues and the languages we wanted to do business in. And uh, this young lady right in front of us, uh, Faye McClure, led our efforts, and successfully so, as we've gained all a little over a billion dollars of additional market share by being more sensitive to our real customers in the marketplace and trying to make them feel very, very much at home at Farmers. The third thing that we did uh, was we, we made the decision uh, that we wanted to train our people better than anybody else in the industry, full stop. Not just our people that face the customers, but everyone associated with farmers. Farmers needed to become a learning institution, and people needed to be excited and confident about learning. So almost 10 years ago, we came up with the notion that instead of training our claims adjusters and our, especially our agents, uh, out in the remote field where they never really, in Little Rock, Arkansas, had a chance to get to know how big farmers is, how substantive we are, our history, the culture, the values, we decided to start bringing them all into Los Angeles. It wasn't cheap. It was very expensive, but it's paid big dividends. Since then, we've made the investment to move this into a first-class campus in Agora Hills, and now uh, is the feature of our most recent television campaign. So I've got another short little clip, if I could, I'd like to show that, uh, to give you an idea of what we did in training to try to be world-class as well. We began with a business problem, and our goal was to solve that business problem through learning and development. You know, we had learning occurring all over the country. It was very decentralized. How it was done, the time attached to the actual programs, the investment in the program, the consistency was very diverse. So we decided to bring that together in a central environment where we could control when the learning was delivered, how it was delivered, and what was actually delivered. This institution really provides a very unique learning laboratory for people to come on and really get hands-on experience we have something called the back lot, which is where our claims representatives actually have the opportunity to engage in settling claims. And they actually have the opportunity to look at a house that has multiple dimensions, multiple um, types of roofing, types of siding, types of flooring. And we do the same thing for autos as well as settling our claims where people can actually look at the cars. Because it's really important that when you're here at the university, you have the absolutely best experience that you can have to make sure that you learn and that you can take back to farmers in whatever job you're in as an agent or as an employee, that when you leave here you have the skills necessary to interact with our customers in the way that we expect. The importance of learning is an obvious one in that it produces bottom line results. If you were to look at, for example, our results around our growth of insurance policies or the effectiveness of how we settle claims, all those things affect our bottom line as a business and therefore education becomes the leverage point by which we can meet our business objectives. Some organizations see learning as a drain on the bottom line. At Farmers, we see learning and development as a strategic advantage for the organization, an advantage that we can provide that will differentiate us in the marketplace. None of our competitors are focusing on training or education a lot of them talk about price, which is important, but it's not the only thing that, that consumers care about. Nobody's really talking about the extent that they go to to educate uh, their agents, their employees, the, to benefit the customer, and I thought that's a great angle uh, to take to consumers. 
there's a lot of excitement uh, by, by friends and family um, what the University of Farmers is doing and more importantly what Farmers is doing using the university as the national advertising platform. It's been fun. A little more and whoa. Yeah, nice. Agents, what do we have here? An autobotone. I've only heard about these. And? And we can save them hundreds by combining their auto boat and home policies all under Farmers. Exactly. Are these legal? Define legal. Well, can you drive it on a street? Yeah. No. We are insurance. We are farmers. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum. Farmers advertising is focused on learning as one of our core competencies. And I think that really does differentiate us uh, from the rest of the pack. Some don't believe that we actually have a university. Of course, it doesn't look like the campus that we shot at UCLA. But when we tell them there really is a university and there really is a place where agents are trained and employees are trained, it, it, it changes the way they perceive the company and they perceive the company uh, is better than the, the competitors. As we started engaging in the national advertising strategy, people would come up to me and say, hey look, I've been to the University of Farmers and it doesn't look like what I'm seeing on TV. So recently we took the opportunity to actually uh, put the University of Farmers monument that you see every day on TV in front of the university. And I would call it a little blend of, of reality with television land. So did it work? Well, uh, last year, uh, training magazine 125, which looks at the top 125 uh, training uh, facilities uh, in, in the world, uh, ranked farmers sixth in the world uh, behind competitors like McDonald's, Bank of America, Microsoft, etc. That feels great. But wait, there's more. Just. Uh, Four weeks ago, we found out that this year, we took number one in the world. Feels kind of good just to say that, doesn't it? Number one in the world. It's got kind of a nice ring to it. Don't get to say that too often in insurance business, but it felt pretty good then, so thanks for sharing that with me. So I guess after doing these things, I, I guess the, the next question is, did these things work? Um, we, we certainly tried to get farmers, our tagline is to get farmers back where it belongs. Did we get farmers back where it belonged? Uh, we grew to be the third largest uh, auto insurer and third largest personal lines insurer through the baby boom generation and the post-World War II boom, but, but, but we really fell in the, in the 80s and the 90s. So this is kind of where the rest of the scorecard comes out, if you will. I'll try to explain this to you off microphone or maybe on microphone, I'm not sure. Um, the, uh, the brown that you see is how fast the industry has grown. The years are 06, 07, 08, 09, and 10. Our, our trip, our journey started in 2004, if you will. So we had lost market share for the previous 10 years. So our blue line, which is farmers, had been smaller than the industry growth for each of the last 10 years. And again, we had shrunk from the third to the sixth. By the time we got to 2006, we had come up even with the industry. For 2007, you can see that we had just under a 5% growth. And then as it ultimately went on, this period of time, this three-year window, is the only three years in the history of the insurance industry where they've had a loss in the size of the premium in the entire marketplace, which will give you an idea just how significant this recession has been for all of us. But during this period, you see that farmers has continued 
uh, to very, very much outgrow the industry. So where does that left us today? What's left us in a good place? For 17 consecutive quarters, we were the fastest growing and most profitable insurance company, multi-line insurance company in the United States of America. That's a hell of a long way from where we were before. We grew back from number six to number three. We became the largest insurer in the state of California. And most importantly to me, because I think this is the best economic indicator of what the future holds for us, there are 40,000 men and women of farmers who are proud to wear that farmer's logo each and every day they go to work today. So on behalf of the entire leadership team that made that happen, I'd like to lead a nice round of applause. And so under the category of what's next, we've gone from being a good super regional player to leading the industry in growth, but there's still half of the market, basically the entire East Coast, that farmers still doesn't do business in with the best tool and asset we have, which is the professional farmers insurance group agent. And we're taking those agents for the first time ever to the East Coast. And the way we're going to introduce them to the East Coast is not letting them think, the East Coast customers think that this is some company they haven't heard of, maybe some new fly-by-night company, but it's important they know just how substantive we are. Because ladies and gentlemen, the Farmers Insurance Group of Companies is moving into the big leagues. One last video, and it's only a minute long. Well, that feels pretty good now, doesn't it? <clears throat> well, I hope my comments uh, this afternoon or this evening um, have resonated with many of you and, and, that, um, and that you do really walk out of here setting your goals a little higher and recognizing that it really is all about those 10 most important words. If it is to be, it is up to me because we have leadership capabilities inside of all of us. And guess what? The world needs great leaders now, and we're the people who must lead it. My final comment is for the students in the room. I realize as you're graduating now and you look out into this world, you think, my goodness, what have my parents left behind here? I know I felt the same way about what my parents must have left behind. You see the economic recession, you see the lack of jobs, you see the disturbance in the Middle East and abroad, and it has to be concern, uh, concerning, and it is. But trust me, don't forget what's on the asset side as well. You are the first interconnected global society going into the world today. You can put aside a lot of the petty issues that have kept us apart as a society for so long. You can move into the world and you can conquer the world. So the world needs good new leaders and I'm sure you're the people. Thank you very much.